Church, welcome. Thank you for joining us this evening. My name is Garrison, and I'm the campus director here at Grace, and it's a privilege to be able to speak with you. I want to jump right into it because I've got a lot of scripture to read, and I think we're going to be really encouraged by tonight's message, so let's jump right into it. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 42. I know this is a lot, so bear with me. I think it's going to be really encouraging. It says this in verse 21, when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in, him, in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Verse 35. While he was speaking, while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter. James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion of people weeping and loudly wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him, but putting them all out, he, be, he, took, the, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were completely astounded. Let's pray. God, we need you. In this time of uncertainty, of when normal or whatever normal will be like comes, God, we're sitting in the middle of this, and we don't know what's we don't know. So Lord, would you be with us? Would you encourage us this evening? Would you speak through me to the church? Would you allow the church to receive exactly what it is they need? And God, would, we, would our minds be open to understand and our hearts be open to receive? It's in your name that we pray this, Jesus. Amen. There are a couple things I want to talk about throughout this passage. And I know this is a lot of scripture, but we're going to go verse by verse. Well, not verse by verse, but couple verses by couple verses. And I want to help us understand a little bit what's going on in this chapter. But I've entitled this message, The Middle of the Miracle. I think a lot of times in our lives... We find ourselves in the middle, and it's the place of unknown. It's the place of fear. It's the place where our faith can grow or our faith can implode. And I think Jesus wants to do something in the middle. He wants to encourage us. But we first have to look at these three aspects. So there's the beginning of the miracle. There's the middle of the miracle. And then there is the miracle itself. So we're going to go through these three things, and we're going to go kind of verse by verse detailing what's going on. So let's go back to verses 22 through 24. 
one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well. And, and he went off with him and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. I think the beginning of the miracle is the place in which your problem also begins. I know that a lot of us don't like to hear that. But if we think about it, when the problem begins is the time in which we need help. And so if you have a plumbing problem, you call a plumber, someone who's specialized to do that. Whereas if you have a health problem, you call a doctor, someone who's specialized to do that. But what happens when those things are outside of the doctor's control? What happens when those things are outside of the control of you? You need something that's outside of the natural to perform a miracle. In fact, you need the super added to the natural. That's why Jesus came. He came to do the supernatural in our lives. And church, I think right now, at the beginning of this moment, there are some people who are saying, I need a miracle. I need a miracle. And you've been seeking God. You've been trying to find God. And you finally showed up to church. And we thank you for coming. If this is your first time here, I love that you're here. And I'm so excited that you joined us this evening. And what I want to say to you is the beginning of your miracle starts tonight. And for those of you who have experienced pain or frustration, or maybe you thought God was at the beginning and you're saying, God, I'm ready to go with you through the middle and all the way to the end of the miracle, God has not forgotten you. He's not forgotten you. I want to take this passage and I want to encourage us so much. So let's go right into it. The beginning of the miracle is the beginning of your problem. They're synonymous. The way that your miracle starts is the very place in which your problem starts. It's the very place. And we see that Jairus showed up to Jesus and he said, Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Would you come and lay your hands on her? And Jesus' response is, sure, let's go. But you see, the problem was Jairus' daughter was dying. His daughter was dying and all of the natural circumstances were exhausted. I don't know about you, but I've exhausted a lot of my natural circumstances in my life. And I need a miracle from Almighty God in my household, in my family's household. I needed a miracle so many times in my life, it's too many to count. And what God has done consistently is done miracle after miracle after miracle. And I want to just jump into a places where in the scripture we see that God has done miracles beforehand. In fact, in Mark chapter 4, just one chapter before this one, Jesus is on this incredible boat with his disciples. And he's living with them and he's loving them. And then this storm hits them. And they're terrified. And they're like, well, what what do we do? This is going to be the end. This is going to be the end. And Jesus is asleep. How many of us know that when Jesus is cool, we should be cool? When Jesus is calm, we should be calm. When he's peaceful, we should be peaceful. In fact, we should go right next to him and say, instead of me worrying about this storm, which the problem could be as big as your eyes can see, but if we take our focus off Jesus, we're going to see that problem as bigger than the person of Jesus. Jesus is asleep in this hole. And these disciples are sitting there and they're like, oh my gosh, we're going to die. This is it. Like, this is the moment that our lives are going to end. And the guy that we're following, he's just sleeping? How could he do this? You see, oftentimes, when Jesus doesn't do what we want, when we want him to do it, or the way we want him to do it, we get mad at him and start blaming him. You see, the problem is that we look at the problem and we see the problem is bigger than our God. If we look at this problem of a pandemic and see it's bigger than our God, we'll always be worried. If we look at the problem of see racial injustices as bigger than our God, we'll always be worried. If we look at the problem of health crises and see it's bigger than our God, we'll always be worried. What we need to do is we need to focus on Jesus. The disciples lost their focus. 
They looked at the problem and said, the problem is bigger than what I know this man can do. And the crazy thing is, is that Jesus had performed miracle after miracle just days before. It's not like they were going, oh, it's three years since he performed it. No, it's day after day, moment after moment. Jesus is performing miracle after miracle. I think sometimes we lose sight of Jesus. And we focus on the problems way bigger than what they are. The problem was the storm. And I don't know about y'all, but I feel like we're in a storm right now. I feel like we've been in a storm for a long time. And I'm tired. And I'm frustrated. And I'm sad. And I'm confused. And I'm all of the above emotionally. And it's really easy to focus on those problems every single day and say, my problem is so good. It's getting so big and it's just so frustrating. But then I remember what Jesus had done for me. He brought me out of the place where I was an angry, frustrated, lying, manipulative person who could not control my rage to the place where now peace lives and reigns in my heart. He brought me and changed my life so drastically that the friends that I had in school don't recognize who I am anymore. That's the God I serve. That's the God who's changed me. And it's so easy to look at my problems and say, God, that one's too big for you. And I think another part where we can look at this in Scripture is where Moses was. Moses had just led these people out of Israel, and they were sitting there, and now they're in the middle of this water and Pharaoh chasing them, and this is in chapter 14 of Exodus, and we get to this place where Moses is at this water, the Red Sea, Pharaoh's behind him chasing him with chariots, and he's not coming to bring them back to Egypt, he's coming to kill them. You don't bring chariots just to bring people back. You bring chariots for war. Pharaoh's going to war with Egypt, I'm sorry, with Israel. And he's going to take their lives. And so the, the Israelites are mad and they're saying, what do we do? What do we do? You brought us out here to die, Moses. You brought us out here to die. What are we going to do? And Moses hears from the Lord. And he says, tell the sea to part. So he does. And the sea parts. And then these people are walking through this sea on dry ground. And then Pharaoh chases. And they're sitting in the middle of the walls of the water and the chariots of Pharaoh. Maybe your problems are your past and they're chasing you day after day and you don't know how to get away from them. And you're sitting in this place where you see the waters and you feel as if they could close in on you any moment. And you see your past chasing you moment after moment and you lose sight of the destination in which you're going. Moses and the Israelites walk through on dry ground, and the moment the last one gets through, it's maybe that little girl, little boy, that old man or old woman, and they get through, and the waters close on the Egyptians. What I love about God are so many things, but one of the things that makes me so excited to be able to share this with you is that your miracle is in the same place as your problem. We need to change our perspective. We need to look at this problem as an opportunity for God to display his miracle power. Because if we look at it just as a problem, we're going to lose our focus. We're going to lose our faith. We're going to backslide. We're going to be fearful. When I was, last year, we were at the doctor's office. I had my daughter in November of last year, and I love this little girl deeply. We were at the hospital, and, um, I'm sorry, just a regular checkup, and we were sitting in this waiting room. We just gotten a sonogram done. And it was week 30 of the pregnancy. We were 
at this place where the doctor comes in, and this was before coronavirus, so everything was pretty normal. She walks in and she says, well, um, I've got three things to share with you. One, your daughter's head is in the one percentile of growth, and um, that means many developmental challenges and quite a bit of work ahead of you. Number two, Janine, you might have early onset pregnancy diabetes. Um, and then lastly, number three, the baby's lying breached, so we'll have to give you a C-section. We'll have to take her out through a C-section. Now, in this moment, the emotions that we're feeling are so big. Honestly, too deep to truly express into words. She's crying. I'm mad. I'm frustrated. I'm scared. I'm, fr- I'm all of the above. She's all of the above. We're riding in the car, and we're getting back to our destination of our house, and we're sitting there and confused, frustrated, and I'm talking to God, and she's crying out to God, and we're sitting there, and I'm just asking God, what did I do wrong? I think oftentimes we try to blame ourselves for our problems. But how many of us know that the problems that exist outside of the natural just that, outside of our natural. Sometimes the enemy just attacks you, and he wants to get your faith. And he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But my God, Jesus, has come to give life and life abundant. And so when I was sitting outside my house talking to the Lord, expressing all of my feelings to the Lord, and by the way, if you haven't done that, expressed your feelings to the Lord, do you know that he wants that? That he wants you to come fully to him, not in the perfection of what you think he wants to see, but he wants you to come raw. He wants you to come completely open and honest and say, my God, I don't know what to do. I'm at a loss for words, but I know that you have the answer. And I want to say this really quickly. God is not the beginner of your problem. He's actually the finisher. He is the finisher of your problem in every aspect of it. And when we allow him to enter the place of our problem, he can then perform a miracle. So I talked to him and I said, there's the problem of her head, Lord. There's the problem of Janine being pre-diabetic, as they say. And then there's the problem of the breech baby in the C-section. God, we need your help. Jairus is asking the same thing. Lord, would you come heal my daughter? And so Jesus comes with them and they walk step and step and says the crowd follow him. And we're going to jump back in right now and we're going to go to the second point that I have, which is the middle of the miracle. And this comes from verses 25 through 34. It says, a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak, for she had thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this, but the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. This is the part in which... I think we find ourselves right now, church. We've had an attack on our own church. Racial injustices, pandemic, an economic crisis. I think we find ourselves in the middle of a miracle. I think we find ourselves in the middle of a miracle as this church, as the greater church. 
I think that when we press into Jesus, he's going to do something truly miraculous. Now, I can anticipate what Jairus was feeling in this moment. He was feeling, yes, Jesus is going to come perform a miracle because he'd heard about what Jesus had done. And he's going to come perform this miracle for my family. Next thing you know, Jairus and Jesus are walking down this path and they're going to this destination. And boom, Jesus stops. I think sometimes we find ourselves in the place where we're hurrying Jesus. God, I need my miracle. Jesus, I need my miracle. Let's go to my destination right now. Let's get there. Let's get there. Let's get there. And he's taking his time. And he's walking. And he's seeing other people. And he's telling them, they mean just as much to him as you do. This woman who had an issue for 12 years, it says that she exhausted everything that she had. I know in my life, I exhausted all my options as well concerning my future, concerning my daughter. The medical professionals could, professionals could not help me. They could only report what had gone wrong. They could not determine how to fix it. They could not do anything to fix it. They could only tell me what the problem was. This woman who had been labeled by her problem, not by her name, by her problem, she approached Jesus. And Jairus, expecting Jesus to hurry to the destination, is probably getting in his brain. Now, this is not in Scripture, and you can, I cannot prove any of this, but just being a human, I kind of get the feeling that Jairus was sitting there as Jesus was looking at this woman as he stopped to acknowledge her. And he says, we don't have time to stop. In fact, we have to continue because mine's more important. Mine is what I need right now. I need a miracle. I need a miracle. And I can imagine what Jairus is feeling, having this little girl that he's had for 12 years, watching her grow, being a part of her life, developing. I can imagine the pain of seeing his only daughter, at least that we have named, suffer. I can imagine it. And him sitting there, looking at Jesus, almost in distaste and disgust. You're going to stop for her? You're going to stop and talk to her? That woman who's had that problem for as long as I can remember, for as long as my daughter's been born? You're going to stop and talk to her? We need to realize, when Jesus stops, we need to stick close. If Jesus has stopped for a miracle for somebody else, that means you need to stick just as close to him as you would for him walking to yours. Why? Because the miracle that he's going to perform for that person is going to encourage you to yours. Can I tell you that Jesus is in the business of encouraging you? He's in the business of changing your mind, of helping you see his perspective and not yours. And when you do stick close to him, you get the benefit of seeing someone else's miracle. Do you know how great it is to see someone go from death to life? Can you imagine what this woman who had been labeled by her problem for so long, she identified now as a daughter because Jesus referenced her as a daughter. He didn't call her her name. He said, daughter, which is so intimate, so connected, so beautiful. I think sometimes, I think right now, Jesus wants to call some of us sons and daughters. The problem that we have in our lives, we've been facing, he wants to say, that's no more. In fact, I'm giving you a new name and it's a son and a daughter.
It's a son and a daughter, a co-heir with Jesus. It's a friend of heaven. And if we go back to Exodus chapter 14, we can actually see that Moses and the Israelites, when they were in the middle of this, it was the unknown. They didn't know if Pharaoh was going to catch up to them. They didn't know if everybody was going to get through to the other side. But they were hurrying. As they were hurrying, they see God loves to do things in the middle. And what he wanted to do in the middle was assure that the destination they'd be going to would bring their faith to another level. You see, Israel was truthfully just like you and I. I know we like to put Israel in a bad light sometimes when they're getting out of the, the, uh, Egypt and going to the promised land and they're all these things with Moses and they're telling him, you should have kept us in Egypt, you shouldn't have done this, you should have done this. And I think sometimes, a lot of times, we find ourselves doing that with God. Telling him, God, you should have done it this way in my life, you should have done it this way, you should have done it this way. But in the middle, we're questioning whether he's even with us. You see, the middle of the miracle is the place in which God wants to encourage you the most. In the middle, I believe, when you request Jesus to come with you, the beginning, when you go to the middle, you're going to see something that will allow you to receive yours. And I think another time in Scripture in which we see this is truthfully when Jesus was on the cross and he had died and they buried him in the grave. You see, for three days, they were living in the unknown. And if you go to Luke chapter 23, verses 50 through 56, really that whole chapter, it's the crucifixion of Jesus, you'll see that the disciples were scattered. They were scared. They didn't know what to do. They'd seen the miracles he'd done. They'd experienced Jesus in his fullness. They'd even have some revelations that he was the Messiah. And when they'd seen him crucified and lying in this grave, they couldn't help but question. They couldn't help but see themselves stuck in the unknown. The unknown is the perfect place for God to work. In fact, in Revelation chapter 22, uh, 22 verses 20 13, it says, he is the beginning and the, uh, he's the alpha and the omega the first and the last, the beginning and the end. If he is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, wouldn't it make sense that he's in the middle? Wouldn't it make sense that just as he began creation with the word and that as he will come back and establish his foundation of new heaven and new earth, that he would be right in the middle with us? Wouldn't it make sense that he would love to be with us today? I think the disciples forgot that. I think his followers forgot that he was the beginning and the end. As he's lying in this grave, they're waiting in a room. And if you read continually in chapter 24 of Luke, you see that he appears. And the miracle of the resurrection was fulfilled. Jairus, this woman, and this daughter, Jairus. They're all connected. Every single one of them. The way that Jesus orchestrated this, this path that he walked on, 
was directly correlated to the problems that were associated with these people. If we want to walk with God well, we need to walk with him through the middle, through the middle of the miracle. And then Jesus comes to this place. Actually, let me back up one second and let me share with you what happened with me waiting for two days to get this doctor's appointment because we had two days of waiting. And in this moment of waiting, my wife and I, we were praying, we were seeking God, and we were standing on this word of trust me. We were standing upon it. We were allowing that to build our faith, not shatter us. We were believing God that he would do something miraculous. And we get to this place where we're now going to the doctor's office on Thursday. But I want to jump back into these last couple of scriptures, the last couple of verses, and then we will go into it. It says in verse 35, while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him, putting them all out. He said, uh, putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated mean little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were completely astounded. This is the miracle. But I want to tell you something. It's probably not going to look like, like what you thought it was. It's probably going to look very differently than you anticipated it. If you've got financial problems, guess what? God wants to be in the middle of that. If you've got health problems, God wants to be in the middle of that. If you've got mind problems, God wants to be in the middle of that. If you've got family problems, God wants to be in the middle of that. Because in that place is the very place where you'll find your miracle. Jairus was walking towards this destination, but he was actually in the middle of someone else's miracle. So that when he got to the place where he was at his own home, he could receive his. You've been walking on this journey. I've been walking on this journey. We've been walking on this journey through the middle. And when we get to this place of home, we're expecting God to do something miraculous because we've seen him do it through somebody else. Church, I want to say this. The good things that God does is in the middle of the thing that you're most scared of. It's in the middle of the thing that you consider a problem too big for him. The miracle in and of itself is counter to your logic. Jesus shows up and the people are telling him, you don't even need to come anymore. She's dead. Your problem could be that your family has been cut off from you. It could be that your finances are so deep in debt. It could be that your health is on the edge and you might physically be dying. What Jesus wants to do is a miracle in that place. But we have to do what Jairus did throughout this story. We have to approach Jesus, walk with him through the middle, and then we have to stay with him even when the people say don't. His family came out and said, you don't need to bother him anymore because it's already finished. 
She's gone. They're weeping, they're wailing, they're crying, they're frustrated, they're sad. They're just so hurt. And Jesus asks them, why are you weeping? Why are you, why are you crying? She's not dead, she's just asleep. Their minds are completely broken. They're probably looking at Jesus like, I'm so, what? She's, she's asleep. She's not breathing. She won't respond to us. What do you mean she's asleep? What do you mean? There's still hope. What do you mean? Hope was given up the moment the most precious thing that I had died. I lost all hope then. Hope was given up the moment I felt my life was lost. I felt Jesus thought more people were more important than me. Hope had been lost for these people. I want to say this. When your hope is placed in Jesus, it's always the right place. It's always a good place to place your hope in Jesus. Why? Because he doesn't move even when everything else does. His foundation that he set when he sat on the cross and he took your punishment in mind, it was finished then. And so what he did is he now gave us a place to stand on and say, even though the world may move, I will not because I'm standing on something that doesn't. I'm standing on something that is sturdy. Jesus and Jairus had walked through this place of the middle of the miracle to the end. So Jairus had been ready to receive. Where has God taken you? Who are the people that God has put in your life so that you can be a part of their miracle? Are you so consumed with yours that you are forgetting theirs? Are you so focused on seeing your miracle that you're blocking out everybody else and saying, God, I need you to focus on me and only me and just me because I'm the most important. I'm the most crucial. I am. I need it. Or are you saying, God, please do a miracle there in the same way you'll do one in my life. Are you believing in faith before it happens that you will be able to see someone else's and yours? Jesus, when he was lying in the grave, These men who were his followers, who had seen him do incredible things, he gets to this point where he appears in the the room as a snap of a finger, and they're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Maybe we're all seeing ghosts, y'all. I I don't know about this. And he says, relax, I'm good, I'm good. This This is me, this is Jesus. And then he gets to this place where he says, if you don't believe me, touch me. Feel the holes, feel them. His disciples witnessed a miracle. They'd they'd been with him through this journey, the beginning of his ministry when he was baptized by John, the middle when he performed all all of the miracles for people that he would, and in the end when he was crucified and rose again. They'd experienced every single aspect of it. What Jesus wants to do for us today is experience every single aspect of the miracle power of himself. And so as he's taking us through this journey, he's not just expecting us to receive a miracle at the end of it. He's expecting our faith to grow. He's expecting our relationship to grow with him. And he's expecting our dependency to be completely on him. Are you completely dependent upon Jesus? If not, are you shaking because of the problem that you have? 
they approach this house and they get into this room. And Jesus puts out the people who were laughing because of what he had said. And then he goes into this place and he brings the mother, the father, and his three disciples. Why does he bring the mother, the father? I think the reason he brings them is because the proximity that Jairus had to Jesus was the same thing that Jesus wanted for the wife. And the faith that Jairus had would be displayed in this little girl. Why did he bring his disciples? I think to show them nothing is impossible. Not a thing lies outside of my power. I think he wanted to show them that. And I think he wants to show us nothing is outside of my power. I think he wants to show you nothing is outside of his power. He grabs the little girl by the hand and he says, Talitha Koum! I can imagine it right now. He's yelling in the room, Talitha Koum! And everybody's like, really? You're going to grab her by her hand and pull her up? That's it? As if she really were asleep. The disciples witnessed a miracle. The mother and father witnessed a miracle. But also, the people that were outside the room witnessed a miracle. You see, your proximity to Jesus and the miracle that he wants to do with you and for you is just as important for the people in the room as it is outside the room. If you are only focused on getting your miracle so that you can feel comfortable and never share it, you're going to miss out on encouraging somebody to the point where they could believe theirs as well. You see, in my story of my daughter, we went to the hospital, and it's a different place. And we get there, and the nurse is taking sonogram, and she's taking all the pictures, looking at the, the measurements of the baby, and she says, okay, cool, everything's good. You guys can go. And I'm like, oh, oh, wait, wait, hold on, stop, really quickly. I, just let's hold for a second. You know why we're here, right? She says, no. I said, they said that the baby's head is in the one percentile of growth. What, what do you mean we're okay? She says, I'll call the doctor in, but everything looks good. So the doctor comes in, and she takes another sonogram, and she says, yeah, everything looks good. Baby's head's fine. And I'm, on the inside, I'm screaming. I'm rejoicing. I am ecstatic because we just witnessed a miracle. God grew our baby's head in the midst of two days. In the span of two days, God grew our baby's head. And I was sitting there ecstatic, but I couldn't express it in this hospital room. My wife looks at me, and we're sitting there like, wait a second. You're telling me that everything's okay? You're telling me that the word that God spoke to me of trust me was enough to fulfill this moment of a miracle? You're telling me that my faith really is not in vain? You're telling me that, God, you want to do miracles for others as well? That moment where he spoke to me and said, trust me was enough for me to be sustained in the middle of the miracle. That moment in which he spoke to me so clearly in the midst of emotional turmoil, disruption, frustration, all of the above was enough for me to hold on to something that did not move even when I wanted to move. It was enough for Jairus as well. 
Now this story of me and my wife and our daughter is a testimony of our household because we stuck with Jesus through the middle and we received the miracle. Church, I believe that God wants to do a miracle in your life. And I truly believe that right now in the middle of this church, in this moment, we are in a miracle. We are in the middle of it. It does, not look what, it does not look like what any of us thought it would look like. It does not look comfortable. It's not at all what we thought it would be. But what it's doing is truly incalculable. It's immeasurable. What God is doing in this staff What God is doing in this church and the people that are coming on Sundays and believing and praying for Pastor Sean, what God is doing is is truly amazing. And it is not taken for granted. These moments, we're in the middle. And God wants to encourage us. And he wants to show us that the end is, is so close. The miracle itself is so close, church. Don't stop in the middle just because God's doing it for somebody else. In fact, press on. Church, the middle of the miracle is where you can either grow or implode. And the miracle itself is not just for you. It's for the people who are around you. The people who need to see somebody who's stable even in the face of uncertainty. The people who need to see that God turns a bad thing into the good. I don't know what's going on with this pandemic. I don't know what's going on in our church and having an attack on the church. I don't know what's going on in the middle of an economic crisis. I don't know what's going on in the middle of racial injustice. But what I do know is that we are seeing what God is going to do through this and not the cause of this problem is not God. We're seeing what he's going to do with it. I believe that there's an awakening in the community of white people who are now seeing the injustices. I believe that there is a deepening of relationship from America, from the world, to God. In fact, they did so much as to have a prayer call, a prayer moment in Germany and Italy when the pandemic was thriving in their countries. They don't believe in God there. They have the tradition of it, but there is a very few people who truly believe in the power of God. They had a prayer moment in their countries. I think the pandemic is pushing people towards God. I think racial injustices are pushing people towards awakening and seeing the problems. I think an economic crisis is allowing people to stop trusting in their money and start trusting in God. As frustrating as it may be, I think that God is using this bad situation for the good of those who love him. The middle of the miracle, church. This is where we find ourselves. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Stay close to Jesus and focus on him. Let's pray. God, we love you so, so much. And we're thankful that we get to walk this with you. That the middle of the miracle is not the place in which our faith could die, but in fact, God, it will grow. We're asking that you would encourage us in the middle so that we could see the end. This is your first time hearing the message of Jesus who came down to be with us as a people, who lived a completely perfect life, 
died a death very undeserving of, his, of himself so that he could rise again, proving that the love that he has for us is greater than our problems. This is your first time hearing the message that God loves you in spite of all that you do. Welcome. And what I want to say is that there is an opportunity for relationship with God in heaven. The creator of the universe wants to know you. The only requirement, the only thing that he asks of us to do, believe. Believe that he died and rose again, and that he is Lord. If that's you and you want to make that commitment, or maybe it's you who have backslided and that you are now finding yourself in a place where you need God more than ever, this is your moment. Just raise your hand. And even when, if you can do it in the chat, push the I raise my hand button or text new life to 25827 so that you can experience what it means to walk with God through the middle. And if that's you, just pray after me. Say, God, I'm sorry for not trusting you. I'm sorry for blaming you. I'm sorry for not living with you. I want to, Lord. I need your help. I need your relationship. I need your sacrifice. God, I need your direction. Would you come into my life and help me live with you? It's in your name I pray this, Jesus. Amen. If that's you, just please text New Life to 25827, and somebody will be able to help you really follow through the middle of the miracle to where you can see your miracle in your family, in your life, in every aspect of it. Church, I love you. I don't know what God's doing, but I know that sticking close to him in this moment is exactly where we need to be. Don't give up just because the middle doesn't look like what we thought it would. Stay close with Jesus.